As we move into the fall, for me, it's an exciting time. It's an exciting time for several reasons. One is my kids are back in school. And as a parent, it's so good to have your kids back in a routine. It's fun in the fall because college students are back and you guys bring so much energy to our church and we love having you here. It's also fun in the fall because sports are starting back up. Barclays Premier League is back on in full swing now. UEFA Champions League is getting ready for group stage. I was excited. I'm a Man U fan. I was excited to see Rooney get a hat trick last week. That's exciting. Good news for Manchester United. NFL season's kicking off. Preseason's in full swing right now, but September 10th, Thursday night game. I know Bruce is excited about that one. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers versus the New England Patriots. I know all of you Colts fans will be rooting for the Patriots in honor of Reggie Wayne, who's gone over to the dark side for many of you. <clears throat> but then October 7th, that's when the real season gets started for me. Uh, that's the NHL season. I love hockey. I love to watch hockey. My oldest son and I have made it a, a goal to get to every stadium and see every team play over the next few years. And so we're excited for hockey season to get started this year. October 7th, first game of the season, Montreal Canadiens versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. We'll have to wait a few extra days to see our Caps play, but eventually they'll get started. And our hope is this year the Capitals can make a march for Lord Stanley's Cup. Go Caps. As you think about all of these sports getting started and all of these teams ramping up for their season, all of them have the same thing in focus. They want to win and they want to win the championship. Now to be sure, some teams actually have a chance to win the championship. Other teams are just hoping or wishing that they would be in a place at the end of the season to get the championship. Most teams are not going to have a chance because they don't have enough talent on their team or they don't have the right coaching in place or the things just aren't gelling together for their team. Because you see, it takes a lot for a team to go all the way to the championship. In order for a team to have a chance at the end of the season to win it all, they have to have great players. Players with great talent and great skill. But it's not just that they have great talent and great skill, it's that they've taken what they're really good at and they've actually put that in submission to the entire team. They've decided that rather than going out to play to be a really great player on the field, they're going out to help their team become a really great team. That's part of what makes the difference between just a group of individuals who are on the field at the same time and those who are actually playing together as a single unit to win the game and to win the championship. Great teams need those kind of players, but those kind of great teams also need great coaches. They need coaches who will come alongside of those players and support them by knowing their team. What is the team's strengths and what is the team's weakness? And then designing game plans and strategies to enhance the strengths and downplay the weaknesses. Great coaches don't only know their team, they know the other team as well. And they design a game plan that actually allows their team to go out and exploit the weaknesses of their opponent. You see, you have to have great players with great skill who've given all that they are to the team so that the team can become great and you need great coaches supporting them to design the strategies to help those team win. 
And all of those players coming together and all of those coaches coming together have to be absolutely committed to and fully engaged in doing whatever it takes to see their team win. If a team has all of those pieces, there's a good chance that they're going to be at the end of the season with an opportunity to win it all. It's no different in the church. If we're going to win within the church, we have to have all of the players on the team fully committed to and fully engaged in what it takes to win as the church. And what does it take to win in the church? Paul talks to us about this in Ephesians chapter 4. He tells us what it means for us to win within the church. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Before we jump into Ephesians chapter 4, though, it's important to simply say this, that God is always working on two fronts. One of the fronts that God is always working on is he's always doing work within the church, within the body of people who, who are his people, who have decided to follow Jesus, who have put their faith in him and are committed to everything that God wants to accomplish within his body. God's always working within the church. At the very same time, God's also always working on another front. He's always working through the church. See, God has things he wants to do within us as his body, and he always has things he wants to do through us out in the community and out in the world. And God is always working on those two fronts. This morning, we're going to talk about God's work in the church in a couple of weeks on September 13th, Pastor Steve, our senior pastor, will be sharing with us on what we've designated as Vision Sunday. And he's going to be talking very specifically about some things that we believe God wants to do through this church. So you'll hear about that on September 13th. Today, we're going to talk about what God is doing here in this body and what God wants to accomplish in us. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks to us about what it means for the church to win. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, he says that the body of Christ will grow up in every respect to, to be just like Jesus Christ, who is the head of the body. This is the work that God is doing in the church. Paul prays a very similar prayer right at the end of Ephesians chapter 3 in verse 19 when he says this. He says that uh, we should grow up into, to the full measure of who God is. You see, God's work in the church is to mature us. It's to make us like Jesus. And God is always doing that work within the church. Now, sometimes churches try to substitute things for this work that God wants to do in the church. Churches get their eyes off of this goal, and they think that, that the only thing that God wants to do in the church is to attract as many people as possible into the church. And so churches attract big crowds, and they count heads every week to see if we had more heads this week than we did last week. Now, don't misunderstand. The church should always be trying to attract people into the church. It's one of those things that God is always doing through the church. But sometimes we substitute that goal for what God really wants to accomplish among us as his people. We think that because the church is growing, then that means that we're okay, that we're doing what God wants us to do. But what if God wants the church to grow both numerically and in our depth in him? 
See, we can't substitute other goals for this goal that God wants to accomplish within the church. Some churches will assume that because people are regularly coming to faith in Christ that they are doing everything that God requires of them. And again, to be clear, we should want people all of the time to be coming to faith in Jesus Christ and dedicating their lives to him. But if we are not then taking those people and helping them grow up into full maturity, then we as the church are not allowing God to do his work in our midst. God's always working on two fronts, in the church and through the church, and we need him to be doing both of those things so that we can become everything we're supposed to be and do everything we're supposed to do. You see, God's goal for us, God's goal for you as a follower of Jesus Christ is that you would grow up into maturity. And so how do we do that? As Paul lays out Ephesians chapter four, he gives to us, I think, three distinct things that we must be committed to and fully engaged in if we are to grow to maturity. And I wanna walk you through those three things very quickly this morning. Number one, Paul says we need to have a vibrant, growing spirituality. A vibrant, growing relationship with God. If you go back to the end of Ephesians chapter three, Paul prays for these Christians in Ephesus and his prayer for them is this, that they would be strengthened by God's spirit in their inner being so that Christ can dwell in their hearts through faith. He goes on to pray that they would understand God's love and that they would have his power at work within them and that they would grow in their knowledge of who he is and of what he wants from their lives. What Paul is praying for in Ephesians 3 is for people in the church, followers of Jesus Christ, to have a growing, vibrant relationship with God. This is where our growth toward maturity begins that we are walking with God and that we are growing in our relationship with him and that is fueling the change that he wants to create in our lives. The key word here is cooperation. In order for us to have a vibrant, growing spirituality, we have to cooperate with God. You see, when we think about this, we tend to fall into one of two camps, extremes on the ends of the continuum. On one end, we think that spirituality and growing in our relationship with God rests only on our shoulders, that we're the ones who do the work to grow spiritually, and so we create a checklist. If I do these things, whatever those things are, if I give myself to those things, if I discipline myself and if I put in the effort and work really hard, I'll grow the way I want to grow because after all, my spirituality and my growth is up to me. That's one end of the continuum. On the other end of the continuum is the exact opposite. People on this end say, it's, I can't make myself grow. In fact, I don't have any role to play. It's up to God to change me. And so I'll just sit here and wait for God to zap me when he is good and ready to zap me and then I'll be who he wants me to be. This results in passive Christianity. Over there, we're putting in tons of effort. Over here, we're not putting in any effort at all. We're just simply waiting for God to do his work. The problem with living in one of these two extremes is that over here, we end up with a form of godliness that has no power. 
We're doing all of the right things, but there isn't the power of God at work in our lives changing us to be who God wants us to be. And on the other end, because we're disengaged from the process and we're just simply waiting for God to do something to us, we end up just being nominal Christians. There's not a whole lot of change happening. There's not a whole lot of anything happening in our lives. We just simply call ourselves Christians. In order for us to have a vibrant, growing spirituality, we have to strike a balance somewhere in the middle. That's why the key word here is cooperation. We have to cooperate with God. There has to be some place in the middle where we faithfully do our part in spiritual growth and we trust God to faithfully do his part. And when those two things come together in cooperation, we grow and we change and we become the people that God wants us to be. We have to recognize that we cannot change ourselves. We cannot grow ourselves. We cannot cause transformation in our lives, in our own effort, or in our own work. And we have to realize that God will not change us unless we come to the table and are fully engaged and wanting to be changed. We have to cooperate with God. One of the images that's been helpful for me in keeping this balance is the image of sailing Now, I am not a sailor, but I did grow up on the East Coast and spent a lot of my growing up years around the Chesapeake Bay, and so I've seen a lot of sailing. I am not personally a sailor, but when I was in grade school, my best friend, his dad had a sailboat, and so I've been around it. I know how it works, and I know that if you grew up in the Midwest, you probably haven't spent a whole lot of time sailing. Maybe some of you have, but it's not something we do here in Marion a lot. So I want to enlighten you on two key things that you need to know about sailing. Prepare to have your mind blown this morning. You need two things if you're going to sail. You need a hoisted sail and you need wind. I told you. It's amazing. You need those two things if you're going to sail. Here's the thing. Sailors can't make the wind blow. No matter how hard they try, they are not responsible for the wind. But if the wind is blowing and the sailor has not done his or her job to hoist the sails, their boat still won't move. The sailor has to do his or her part and then they have to trust that the wind will blow. In our spiritual lives, it is exactly the same. We have to be faithful to do our part. And we do that by engaging in what historically has been called the disciplines of the faith or the practices of the faith. The reason we engage in those activities is not to check something off of a list to say we did it, or even to prove that we are committed to God. We do those things because as we do, we are putting ourselves in places that Christians down through the ages have discovered God's wind tends to blow there. Why do we open the Bible? Because when we do and we read it and we study it and we engage with it, God's wind blows there and it tends to change us and transform us. 
Why do we come to corporate worship? Because down through the ages when God's people have gathered in worship services in response to God's invitation, God meets with them and he speaks to them and he transforms them. Why do we engage in prayer? Because when we do, God tends to meet his people in those places and he speaks to them and he hears from them and they begin to change. We don't do these things to check things off a list. We do them because they are spaces in our lives where God tends to meet with us, where the wind of God's spirit tends to blow. So we have to be faithful to do our part to engage in those practices, to be people of Scripture, to be people who read the Word of God, who meditate on it, who study it, who internalize it, who live it out, to be people of prayer, people who commune with God, and people who communicate with God, who share with God what's going on in their lives, and who talk to God about the needs that they have and the needs that others around them have. People who intercede before God on behalf of their community and their world. People who listen intently for the voice of God to know what God wants so that we can go do it. We have to be people who gather for corporate worship. We are commanded in Scripture to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Because God has invited his people to gather together on a regular basis to worship him. And it's our responsibility to respond to that invitation and gather regularly so that we meet with God. And we meet with God here when we're together in ways that we cannot meet with God when we are alone. Now these three things, scripture, prayer, and corporate worship, they're not the only three things that we can do to grow in our relationship with God. They're not the only three places where God will meet us, but they are three of the foundational places that God calls us to. And if we are serious about having a vibrant, growing spirituality, we will hoist the sails in our lives by doing these three things and the other practices of the faith that God might lead us to faithfully doing our part, all of the while trusting God to faithfully do his part. So that as the wind of God's spirit blows through our lives, we have our sails up, ready to catch the wind so that we can move forward. We have to cooperate with God so that we can have a vibrant, growing spirituality. Number two, we need to have strong, healthy relationships. If we want God's work in the church to be accomplished, we have to cooperate with God to have a vibrant, growing spirituality, but we also need to come together as the body of Christ to have strong, healthy relationships. Paul says we ought to make every effort to maintain unity in the bond of the Spirit. And he calls the church together. If you read it, you see it's almost like a drumbeat of ones. One body, one spirit, one hope, one faith, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's as if Paul is saying we all have to march together to the same drumbeat. Because as God's people, there is only one church because we only have one God. What this means for us is that relationships are critically important within the church. 
It's not enough for us to say we love God and we're in relationship with God and we're growing with our walk with God. That's great. Are you also growing in your relationship with others? Because if you say you love God, but you don't love one another, then you are a liar and the life of God is not in you. That's not my words. Those are the words of Scripture. You see, if we want God's work in the church to be done, it's not enough for us to know God. We have to also grow in knowing each other. As we discover the importance of relationships in the church, we begin to realize that the reason they're so important is that they are a means and an end of spiritual formation. As we connect with each other in relationships, here at College Wesleyan, as we connect with each other in spiritual formation groups, we are studying the scriptures together, we're praying together, we're caring for one another, we're holding each other accountable, we're supporting each other as we go through difficult times. And as that happens, God actually uses other people to shape and form us to be the people he wants us to be. You can't learn how to forgive until someone wrongs you. You can't learn how to care and love for someone until they're going through a difficult time. You can't learn to be patient with someone until someone tries your patience. You can't learn to lovingly accept people who are not where you are in your spiritual journey. They might not even believe the things you believe or have convictions that you yourself have, but unless you are in relationship with them, you cannot learn to lovingly accept those people. See, God calls us to connect with each other. We have to cooperate with God to have a growing, vibrant spirituality, but we have to connect with each other so that we can grow in humility and gentleness and patience and loving acceptance of others so that we can be the body that God calls us to be. These relationships, their means of spiritual formation, but they're also an end because as you are growing in your walk with the Lord and as God is maturing you, the end result of that maturity is love. The longer you walk with God and the more he matures you to be like Jesus, the more you will be connected to the body. And so if you wanna know how am I doing in my spiritual formation, how am I doing in my growth toward maturity, just ask yourself how strong and healthy are your relationships? And if they don't fully reflect what God desires, then ask God to continue to do his work of maturity in your life. We have to have a vibrant, growing spirituality. We have to have strong, healthy relationships. And then thirdly, Paul calls us to faithful, gift-oriented ministry. Paul says that the way the church is actually designed to function is that God has called some in the church to be equipping ministers. And their job is to make sure all of the people in the body are equipped to do the works of service that God has given them to do. This is important because it is only when everyone in the church is doing its part that the body of Christ can grow and be built up. The key word here is contribution. Every person in the church who is a follower of Jesus Christ is called to make a contribution to the team. 
You are called to be engaged in what we are doing here. And so we see this when people stand at our doors at one of our entrances on Sunday morning and they shake your hand and they offer you a smile and they give you a bulletin. They are doing works of service that build up the body of Christ. When you come into the sanctuary and there are ushers at the door who welcome you into this room and help you find your seat and they make sure that you have what you need and they help you give to the Lord week in and week out, they are doing a service which helps the body to be built up. When people volunteer to work in Splash, our children's ministry, and they help kids get checked in on Sunday morning, or they change dirty diapers, or they teach a children's spiritual formation group, or they volunteer to help with Splash worship, they are doing a service which helps the body grow and be built up. When our worship arts team puts together a service every week and engages volunteers and they stand up here and faithfully lead us in worship week in and week out, they are doing a service which helps the church grow and be built up. When people volunteer with JC Body Shop and they serve as sponsors, investing in the lives of teens in this church, they are doing a service which helps the body grow and be built up. When our tech team makes sure that the sound and the lights and the screens and all of the technical stuff is working right, they are doing a service which helps the body grow and be built up. When people come into our office as volunteers week in and week out to do things that none of you ever see, but it needs to be done and they come in and do it faithfully, they are doing a service which helps the body grow and be built up. And the people come in long before you or I get here on Sunday morning and they make the coffee. Can I get an amen from the coffee drinkers in the room? These people are doing a service which helps the body grow and be awake and be built up every week. These are just a few of the things that are required to see the ministries of this church move forward. They are just a few ways that you could contribute and make a difference. There are many, many more. The point is this. Regardless of your age or your situation in life, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and this is your church, We want you to be fully engaged, making a contribution here so that the body of Christ can grow and be built up. A couple of things need to be said here. One is that some of us get this idea in our mind that because maybe we work for a Christian organization or because we view the work that we do out in the community as our ministry, that that means we don't have to do anything within the church. And while I want to affirm the fact that our work out in the community and out in the world is extremely important. In fact, it is one of the primary ways God does his work through the church. Leveraging our work out in the community in that way does not free us from the responsibility that we have to one another within the church. We are still called to make our contribution, each part doing its work, so the body can grow and be built up. The second thing that I want to say here is that oftentimes we think that if I get involved in the church, I'm going to do something I don't like doing and that I'm not good at. And this is not right. The way the church is designed to function is that we would do the things that God has given us passions for, 
and the things that God has gifted us to do. Find your passion, find your gifts, your strengths and abilities, and then find ways to employ those things within the life of the church. As you do, the body of Christ grows and it is built up into maturity. We together become like Christ. So in order for us to win as a church, in order for God to accomplish his work in the church, we have to be absolutely committed to and fully engaged in these three things. Cooperating with God so that we can have a vibrant, growing spirituality. Connecting with each other so that we have strong, healthy relationships. And contributing to the life of the body in faithful, gift-oriented ministry. When we do these things, the church grows up into maturity. As I was preparing this week, it struck me that in order for us to grow to maturity, in order for God's work to be accomplished in our lives, we need the church. You can't grow to maturity on your own. You can't pull off to the side all by yourself and expect to grow and become everything God wants you to be. We need the church to help us do that. I need the church and you need the church. We all need the church if we're to grow and become who God wants us to be. The other thing that struck me is this. In order for God's work in the church to be accomplished, God does that work through us. God needs the church to accomplish his work in the church, which means we all have to be absolutely committed and fully engaged in these things that we've talked about this morning. A few years ago, uh, we had an opportunity to spend a day in Lake Placid, New York, and we went there for the purpose of just touring all of the Olympic sites. The Olympics have been held there a couple of times, and we just wanted to go and see all of those sites, and we did. We had a great day, and we went to the very top of the ski jump and looked down. Those people are nuts. I mean, that is just crazy. We had a great time standing up there looking down. We, we went, uh, for me, what was the highlight of the day was going to the hockey rink, of course. And there was actually a tournament going on, but they let us go in and we went right down uh, to the boards. And we stood there. We couldn't go on the ice because they were playing a game. Um, but we were down there at the boards and we were looking at the rink where the United States men's team won gold medal in 1980. And we went downstairs underneath the rink and they've got a little museum set up and we toured that. And it was exciting to be there and be a part of that. The 1980 men's hockey team for the United States of America, made up of amateurs and college students, really. They just pulled them together from across the country and began working with them and training for the Olympics. And they came from all different schools, and they were all rivals. I mean, you think about it. In college, you're on college hockey teams, and you play against each other. You compete against each other. But now, all of a sudden, you're put on the same team, and you're asked to play for one goal to win the gold medal that 1980 team finally came together and they gelled and worked hard and it was a great run the semifinal game they played the Soviet Union and it was wonderful the Soviet Union was a powerhouse team they'd won six of the last seven gold medals in men's hockey and and there was no way this team of amateur college students was going to beat these these guys but they did They called it the miracle on ice. It was amazing that they won the game. 
And then, of course, they went on and played Finland in the gold medal match, and they, they won. It was a wonderful run. But when they started, they were not a team. They were just a collection of individuals with great skill and great talent. Coached by Herb Brooks, he brought them together once he had selected his team, and he asked them what their name was, what their hometown was, and who they played for. And with regularity, they would say, this is my name, this is where I'm from, and this is the college that I play for. He repeated this process over and over and over again, and they constantly came back with the same refrain, their name, their hometown, and the college team that they played for. They wanted to let everyone know who they played for and what team they were a rival of. After a pre-Olympics game with Norway, that was just a lackluster performance. They actually played horribly. Herb Brooks didn't let them leave the ice. He kept them on the ice and he made them line up on the end line and he had them skate back and forth. His assistant coach would blow the whistle. They'd skate to the end line and back and then he'd have them line up and do it again over and over and over again. He was making them work hard because he wanted them to come together as a team. See, if College Wesleyan Church is your church body, if this is your local church, you play for this team. And all of us who are on this team need to play together. We need to be absolutely committed to and fully engaged in doing whatever it takes to win And when we know what God wants for us and we know what it means for us to win, to grow up in maturity, we must be committed to those things. We have to cooperate with God so that everyone in this church has a vibrant, growing spirituality. We have to connect with each other in strong, healthy relationships. We have to contribute to the life of the body through faithful, gift-oriented ministry. And if we are committed to and fully engaged in these things, God will do his work in the church and we will grow up into maturity.